Welcome back. It's your weekly optimism vaccine. I am uh, not Steve Cuff. Uh, he's out gallivanting in Europe or some shit. Uh, I am your much less uh, wealthy host who, who is salt of the earth and can't afford European vacations, uh, Adam Myros. And uh, joining me this week, as per usual, we have Jack Eason. You know me, I like to, I like to divide my time between America and, and Europe, the continent, the various islands of dotting around it, so on and so forth, just very cosmopolitan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to settle down here among you salt-of-the-earth people and just uh, bitch about stuff. You've made some mistakes in your life, Jack. <laughs> you know uh, what? Yes, I, I have. I don't know why you invested in America, <laughs> but here you are. <laughs> it was convenient for a brief window, and now it's just continuing. Who would have known? I, I thought the fascism would be like at least another 20 years down the line, but no, it's just, it's crawling right up. Well, I, at least I don't think you owe a crippling amount to the American education system that's now not going to ever be forgiven, so uh, <laughs> you got that going for you. <laughs> uh, also joining us, uh, in lieu of Steve, we have Jake Trupila. How you doing, Jake? I'm your huckleberry. Oh, boy. <laughs> Jake, Jake has done this to us, and I think we were all under the impression we were going to have a hell of a time this week, uh, but uh, maybe not. You have to, you have have to admit, on paper, this was a good idea. Yeah, I thought, I thought oh, great, I haven't, seen, I, I haven't seen a couple of these. There's a couple I was like, boy, I never got around to watching these. This will be great. And unfortunately, the one I watched previously... Uh, you know myriad times over and over again is is the one to watch so <laughs> but that being said we are discussing the films not all of them but uh, the most prominent films i would say of uh george p cosmatos uh who was really kind of a, a hollywood hired gun in the 80s and into the 90s uh helmed quite a few big franchises that, well i guess not franchises but, but potential franchises Cobra should be a franchise. Uh, Leviathan could be a franchise. Why not? But uh, really, he he was put in charge of some major studio projects and acquitted uh, himself fairly well. But uh, I, I guess we'll get into some of the complexities behind that as we get into these movies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was he was sort of Stallone's man for for a few years there, and that is, uh, I suppose, the best place to start is uh, with. His first collaboration with Stallone, which is Rambo First Blood Part 2, uh, a movie that I think has a pretty strong reputation, but uh, having just watched it for the first time, I have no idea why. Uh, what do we think of this? I'm surprised you've never seen this one before. I figure this is like definitely one that must run endlessly on, on cable. Uh, where where it can find its natural audience. I mean, I've seen this several times over, and it's I mean, it's a tricky prospect because uh, for for anyone who knows, obviously, First Blood, aka Rambo, First Blood, as they like, I think they retrofitted the title when they started decided to make it a franchise. It's kind of like a searing drama of a PTSD laden vet who is mistreated by the America he returns to, and it's it's not really a an action movie it certainly has some violent elements but it's you know it's it's a pretty interesting drama about you know post-vietnam america and then stallone i guess got a fantastic idea which is we we can turn it into something new reagan is the president there's there's a hunger for new politically charged texts 
and so he turned in Rambo and, and swung around. And what if, what if Rambo was still a PTS-laden, sad sack uh, Vietnam vet? But what if he got to go back to Vietnam and kill everyone and get revenge? And a beautiful, beautiful story that I would assume it pl is playing on a TV channel in America at any given moment. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think my dad was... Uh was kind of atypical in that I, I just don't think he was much of a Stallone guy. Uh, I, I did find Rocky, uh, you know, pretty early in life through, through the methods you describe, you know, it was often marathoned on, on TV, but I, I really didn't have that much experience with Rambo. I've seen First Blood, but beyond that, I've seen Rambo 4 because it was kind of a, a weird <laughs> event when it arrived uh, in all of its digital blood glory. Um, but yeah, I, I had not seen two or three, frankly. Yeah, I also, uh, I have not seen Rambo, before this podcast, I had not seen Rambo two or three. Uh, I had seen First Blood, I've seen the 2008 Rambo, and I even saw and reviewed Rambo Last Blood uh, for filminquiry.com, plug there. Uh, but I feel like when people think of Rambo, Rambo 2 is the film that comes to mind, because you got an image of a shirtless Stallone running through the jungle with a machine gun or explosive arrows, if you will, blowing up villages and uh, killing any Vietnamese and Russian enemy he can find and trying to save our heroes. Uh, the first first blood is not about that at all. It's a, yeah, it's like Jack said, it's a soldier who comes home and he's yeah, the the world kind of throws him into the mountain and he has to use his survival skills. But yeah, this is just like the I feel like this is the power action fantasy of returning to Vietnam and getting shit done because it, it really was, in my opinion, uh, uh, a, a lousy war. Um, I don't know how many people believe that, but... Uh, it's a hot it, take. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we really shouldn't have been involved over there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I... So I... it, it Yeah, it's I felt like, oh, this is Rambo 2. I'm sure this one's good. I think Rambo 3 is maybe not the good one, but uh, I was hoping to enjoy it, and I thought uh, this movie's kind of dumb and uh, not always in the best way. Uh, it's, uh, it's baffling. Yeah, I suppose, like, it, dumb, it's, it's certainly, it's dumb. You know what, it's dumb textually in the movie. It's really smart what Stallone and his co-writer James Cameron pulled. Because, I mean, it's a really smart maneuver. <laughs> James Cameron. Yeah, James Cameron, co-writer of Rambo 2. Also, this movie's mm -hmm. shot by Jack Cardiff, which I'd forgotten completely when that credit came up. It's like, what? Jesus, this what that man shot all kinds of. And I mean, you know what? It's a good-looking movie. That part works pretty well. It is really smart, I think, what Stallone did here. And I mean, Stallone's career is a series of incredibly business-savvy decisions that set him up to take some of the dumbest swings in history. Yeah, like he oscillates wildly between those two things. But underneath it all is a man who is incredibly business savvy and movie savvy and you know he's his career has played through that in the way he sold the rocky screenplay for one dollar if he got to direct and so on which is you know what a huge gamble but the, exactly the kind of gamble that put him in the center of state like he believes in his projects he knows what he's doing so rambo 2 is really clever in restating taking you know what we did the sad vietnam veteran thing let's you know you know, we got reagan as president there's more of this kind of like american pride there's more of this kind of uh frankly foreign interventionism and so on and rah 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 america let's let's harness that let's get in there you know let's make rambo a symbol of america bouncing back being tougher than ever and that's what the movie is uh, textually it's insane i mean it's it's literally a movie that tries to 
re-legislate the Vietnam War through being mad at Russia, which is bonkers, doesn't make any goddamn sense. And it is also an incredible excuse, like, excuses America of an enormous amount of wrongdoing in America. This is a movie where Russians napalm an American, for example, and an American is left in the jungle on his own and has to fend off using nothing but a knife and a bow and arrow, a bunch of nasty Vietnamese farmers with machine guns. It's like this complete inverse <laughs> of the actual war that happened and that America lost completely. Um, it's really savvy on that level, stupid in the movie, but I guess the real problem with this movie always for me is that it's just, it's a really stilted, stagey action movie. It's like, they have the biggest goddamn explosions of the 80s in this movie. Like, they're enormous explosions. Anything that explodes does so is just an incredible First thing gusto. you see is an explosion. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, they start mm -hmm. off from, from the get-go, just enormous balls of fire. But then everything else in the movie is just sort of like, they don't have a grapple on anything to make, you know, like, like everything's just like a shot, reverse shot, man firing gun, guy falling over, should cut back to man firing gun, some more guys falling over. It's this incredibly cut and dry, boring action enterprise, which to me kind of like, that's the base problem to this film. I could forgive everything else in this movie if the action was exciting, but it, it just isn't. It never has been to me. And that's kind of, that's Rambo 2 to me. It's kind of like, it's kind of a boring movie that also has a bunch of other stuff you can end up looking at because the action's not exciting. I, I knew something yeah. was wrong when, um... There's a part where he's on a boat and they're being chased by another boat and uh, a bunch of people are shot and they jump and fall off the boat and he's left behind. He has a bazooka and he aims it at the enemy boat that's oncoming and he fires it, but then it immediately cuts to the like ship exploding. Like there's no art in the editing. It like there, you would think you would see, oh, we'll see the rocket at least go across the river. But no, there's absolutely I was like jolted in my seat. I'm like, what the hell? It's very very shoddily put together and um i think as we're discussing the the cinematic vision of one uh, george p cosmatos i think we can maybe call into question what did he do as a director because there are serious claims that uh not very much is uh, the case and i i have to think is he less of a director and maybe more of like a glorified uh crossing guard for everything it's uh, tough to say but um yeah it, yeah it seems like at the very least he was he was very much sort of manhandled by these big hollywood stars that he worked with and uh but what's so strange is that if you look a year later we're not going to skip to cobra just yet but that's an immaculately edited film mm -hmm. and and this is not like nothing really adds up like i don't know it's been a long time since i've seen first blood but are these explosive arrows like some iconic weapon of rambo because they're not introduced in the film at all all of a sudden he just is blowing shit up and it's like that feels okay, like a very what the, what the james, fuck is this that feels like a very james cameron touch to me and i don't know if it was him but cameron that feels like something that cameron knew cinematically would stick that that just feels it to does, me like but it needs right, to yeah. like why don't we have the standard like action movie shit of like him pouring gunpowder into some arrows and like crafting all of this stuff it's like no he just has. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he, he has to know them. they're explosive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is a bit weird. It it feels like there's. I mean, it, obviously, overarching all of this thing, and I'm guessing the discussion started with Rambo is a force of nature to relitigate this war. It is to make Rambo the itinerant farmer of the war, and he will face off using nothing but his wits and cunning 
and kind of archetypal weapons against the great machines of war that Russia is channeling into Vietnam because Russia is now suddenly involved for some goddamn reason, which, you know, and that's, and that's kind of like the, the, once you get discussing on that, it's like, what is Rambo doing? It's like, but it can't just be a bow and arrow. That's boring, explosive tips. Why not? You know, and he blows up a couple of buildings with them and then eventually he shoots one, one poor sod who's out in the middle of a river with one just so we get one exploding body <laughs> gag, which is one of the better parts of the movie. I, I, I just like that. Yeah. The highlight for me. There's also not just, uh, you know, Russia and Vietnam, but there's also this, this sort of the shady U.S. government is, is kind of going on in the background because they sent him out there. Sure. He's only to take photos. He's not to engage with the enemy. Of course, the next scene we see Rambo sharpening a knife, not a camera. Uh, so, you know, clearly they're sending the wrong man. They don't expect to find anyone. And there is the, you know, the big controversy of all the soldiers left behind in Vietnam. This is 10 years after the war and they still are, you know, carting these poor guys around and just like stick in mud huts. Uh, and then once they discover, oh, there are soldiers alive, uh, they immediately try to bury Rambo. But, uh, he not only saves his men and kills the enemy, but he also exposes, uh, what U.S. intelligence has denied and tried to cover up. So he's a hero in that regard, too. And we see that because he shoots up the uh, office at the end of the film with a giant machine gun on the airstrip. Yeah, somewhat inexplicable <laughs> scene where he shoots a huge computer because the computer is doing all the analytics for the operation. So he shoots the computer as if that was the problem rather than the guy over top of the entire operation who just told them not to go ahead and rescue anyone. Like, like there's nothing in the movie that suggests the analytical portion of the mission was wrong. Uh, just, just that you know, they it was a fake mission, or they weren't really invested in it. They weren't even expecting right. to find POWs, and then they did. And so it's like maybe they would have done something later. Who knows? But I mean, this this you is... wonder if that was like a theme at some point right. that got cut. <laughs> like, like we're we're making this about oh, the, if we're going to succeed in war, we got to have the human element. You know, we've got to right. care about these men, but these cold machines are, are ruining everything. But that's it's just not. Yeah, there it's not. At it's all. not there yeah. at all. And and yeah, the, a large part of the film then is is um, I'm trying to God, I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. OK, so it's it's very much it's the movie that is like the Frankie Boyle joke you see online every so often about how like America will send soldiers across the ocean to murder you and your family and then not only that but like a couple of years later they'll make a movie about how they're sad that they had to murder your your family like that's rambo <laughs> 2 to a large it is the movie of like vietnam vets were sad and they were sad because they didn't get to win the war but now in rambo 2 we're gonna we're gonna get one back meanwhile it's a movie like there's fascinating elements in this movie at one point, it's interesting because uh, the guy who's over top of it notes that America didn't pay reparations, which is true. America did not pay any reparations to Vietnam, despite devastating the country and several surrounding countries because they had several wars going on, none of which were declared officially as wars and so on. But then there's the torture sequence, the infamous sequence where, where Rambo is electrocuted by vicious Russian agents. Uh, and and very prominently in the background of that shot is a large bag of rice that is stamped as aid from the United States government. And if I remember correctly, that was part of America's agreements when they, they signed, you know, a peace treaty or whatever, or just a renege of the war, was that they, uh, they were going to donate an enormous amount of food to Vietnam. And if I remember correctly, they reneged on that. The United States did not give Vietnam anything. So this bag of rice seems like this stand in for something the u.s never did and now the u.s is back again killing basically just poor vietnamese people 
for the sake of yeah. rescuing soldiers. It's it's right. That's insane. the thing. We're that's like the nationalist disconnect that we're not supposed to think about because we're supposed to be having fun. But when we're not having fun, all of a sudden we're going like, "Why the fuck?" <laughs> sure, they're torturing this invading asshole. Like the Russians are are welcomed here, and why is it okay? Why am I supposed to be like upset when Rambo's getting electrocuted when he's doing something? completely illegal <laughs> and uh as opposed to when he turns the tables and murders all these people who are, are really just you know mining their own business like, you're right they live there yeah. that's like this yeah. is where they live there's there's so many like uh, it, there's an interesting point where the main the main uh operational officer the guy who turns out to be the, the american side villain uh he like gets an ice cold coca-cola and he's eating a pb and j sandwich at his desk and I think, like, that I think harks back to, say, Apocalypse Now, which had that specific montage talking about, you know, like, how Americans brought Coca-Cola with them to Vietnam. Like, they, they brought the comforts of home, and they were never truly invested like Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, you know, in total war, you know, going native. It, seem, it seems like this is the concept, you know, he's soft, he's a desk man, he's doing all this kind of stuff, you know? Um, but it's, it's just sort of like, um, he, he's doing that, but then... But, uh, you know, it's, it's, sorry, I've lost my train of thought again. Uh, I'm having, I'm having a rough time here, but. See, this uh, is why we need Steve here. This is what uh, we need he Steve. He keeps you on track. He's, yeah, but you, you basically, you know, it's like he's doing this. He's not, he's not invested in the war. Rambo is invested in the war. Rambo will get it done. But it, it's just this incomprehensible mishmash of like, um, of, of wartime, like rah, 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 the soldiers, you know, don't let the bureaucrats get in the way. But the, the whole thing is, is cracked uh, and and like we said again boring really quite boring like the the action yeah. is just like huge explosions but nothing that particularly uh makes you inspired to like what it's just it's just muscly men shooting guns for 20 minutes yeah i which i think is like you could say it's it's a smart calculation to be like we're going to turn rambo into an action franchise but what is not a smart calculation is they don't really do anything with Rambo. Like, he's a terrible character in this movie. Like, he's just nothing. Like, I mean, Stallone can give you something. And obviously, this is sort of his project. But there's nothing here. Like, R Rambo as a character is just so goddamn boring. Like, I'm like, <laughs> this is this guy's the action hero? He's just fucking standing around doing nothing. It's just no charisma. Yeah. And again, bizarre when we... When we <laughs> really compare it to what comes next because these are two stallone projects that are very much driven by him and this is the one that is like the money you know this yeah. is the one that's the big franchise we're gonna we're gonna make so much money with this shit and he's given it nothing and the script is not helping uh it's just i don't know where the script is is altered during production in this because i james cameron knows what he's doing but there's so much in this that's just like slapped in with it a. It, sounds got like, like the Stallone female. rewrite, possibly on set. Yeah, he's got well, but even Stallone can write. Like uh, yeah, he's written. <laughs> he wrote good movies. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. But I, and, I have a feeling. I don't know. This feels like maybe something that a lot of it happened on set. I, you know, and I maybe I'm wrong yeah. about that. It just feels like very much like maybe money was running low and they had to remove elements. Like it just feels very condensed in the story. Yeah, elements. it's just 
there's so much in this movie that feels like it's just there to be there. Like the <laughs> love interest thing is particularly ridiculous. Yeah, thank well, you. I was, I was bringing that up. We need to get into yeah. this mo- most egregious <laughs> mishandling of a love interest I've maybe ever seen in any movie ever. Uh, this was actually where I was gonna go before. I was gonna say where, where the guy had his Coca Cola and his PB and J. I remember the the but the, you know he brought the comforts of America. I feel the love interest was like Rambo two bringing in the comforts of American genres c- like cinema. It, it makes no sense. Like she's just like the the beautiful eyeliner wearing American cheerleader native girl. It's this insane creation. It's offensive if it weren't so utterly bizarre. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, this is Agent Bao, Ko Bao. She's in the jungles, but her makeup is almost always immaculate, never out of place. <laughs> so uh, many glamour shots for the Vietnamese yeah, jungle girl. Yeah, yeah, always on point. Rambo is with her when he realizes that there's enemies on both sides. He connects with her, and they have this real heart-to-heart where, like, maybe after this is over, you can take me to America, and he's like, yeah, of course, and... She stands up on a rock and then immediately gets machine gunned down by enemy forces. I like <laughs> spat my Why? water out. That's, that's, like, uh, yeah. It's not an exaggeration either. It's like literally me, 10 seconds after they kiss and she's like, take me to America. Boom. <laughs> she has me my favorite line in this movie because it's so it's so awful the way they, they do. Because yeah, America has an enormous cultural footprint in Vietnam and America obviously had to let a lot of Vietnamese people into the US in the wake of the war that tore the nation apart. Um, and then she, she speaks this goofy pigeon English but in the midst of it says amazing like just one line i'm i can't remember if i'm paraphrasing this or this is a direct quote i feel like it's a direct quote but it certainly captures a spirit where she says maybe go america live the quiet life it's like the quiet no one's saying <laughs> live the quiet life in pigeon english that's like utterly an insane sentiment to throw in it's just an incredibly lazy thing and like it just is so it just is this horrible ring of like the american guys who like pick up wives from southeast asia it just feels like just the same mindset coming here like this is glamorous sexy lady who's you know got a severe cultural uh disadvantage to you so you can take advantage of her that's the movie it's beautiful yeah and then she's blown away in, like, she wears like, her full, necklace. Full torso squibs. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. It's it's not even like it. It's not an outlier in the film. Is the problem like these? This is the mode this film is operating in. Is it's just like set up, payoff, set up, payoff, set up, payoff, and none of it is earned because they don't take any any moment in this film to like. A characterized Rambo or anyone else. It's that's just like, that's no, not no. entirely true, Adam. They do characterize Rambo because at one point the guy says, Indian German descent, hell of a combination. <laughs> <laughs> there as as far as the human element goes, there's like one, I think, genuine moment that works for me. It's after he he rescues one soldier who is on a cross, uh, leads him away from the village, and he lets the guy catch his breath. And the guy asks Rambo what year it is, and Rambo says it's nineteen eighty five. And then it just cuts to a close-up of that guy, like, he just looks absolutely crushed. And at that moment, I really felt like, oh, man, this guy's, you know, who knows how long he's been out here. That's just awful. But then, you know, the climax of this movie is Rambo uh, playing possum at the wheel of his helicopter so that he can get the drop on the other enemy in the other helicopter. 
<laughs> like, how did we get to that point in this? That, and he doesn't even whole... use the helicopter. He uses a bazooka in the helicopter to shoot it. Yeah, that whole setup felt like the only way they could figure out to do a helicopter fight without having the helicopters move that much. Like, they have a helicopter chase beforehand, which is just two helicopters flying low. You know, I mean, it's stunt flying, fair enough. But they're just kind of like, it's just two helicopters flying in a river and they kind of like cut frenetically between them to create like an illusion of desperation but it's, it's pretty much just two helicopters flying uh in a line uh, and yeah. then they both land and then they just have this hard edit explosion because i don't think they could just figure out any other way to have them fight each other that wouldn't be wildly expensive and difficult yeah it's it's just not a good idea like you want to frame any number of action set pieces uh, helicopter is probably about the last one you want to include for like a chase thing or something because it's like this is too dangerous to do really much of anything. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's well, a mess, quite frankly. Yeah, and, and the ending is where I, like, you know, I was just kind of like, well, this is just kind of a boring nothing of a movie. And then the ending is, is like, so it, <laughs> insulting that I was like, fuck this goddamn movie. Let's <laughs> Do let's we get to win this time? Again. Oh, sorry, that's the start where he says they get to win this time. The, the end is where he says he just wants America to love him as much as he loves it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a heart. great big like, and, and then don't forget, big salute the troops. <laughs> we we get uh, the song "Peace in Our Life" sung by Frank Stallone over the end credits. <laughs> Christ! Oh, uh, every every celebrity needs their lesser talented brother that they just have to shoehorn into shit. God bless you, Frank <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> they, yeah, the last like five minutes of this movie was just enough to completely sour me on anything I enjoyed in it. I was just like motherfucking. Thank you for your service, film. Now, may I never fucking have to watch this again. Yeah. But, you know, that anyway. being said, it, it, I guess it was a fruitful enough collaboration that it, it allowed us to get uh, the next film that we're going to discuss, which, thank God for that, because it, uh, it's Cobra. And uh, is Cobra a dumb film as well? Yes, but in exactly the opposite way, where it's dumb in in the most beautiful fashion like this is is just it's one of the greats like i don't i can't name in an in a decade that is chock full of amazing action films this is is one of the very best in my opinion it, it's just uh endless fun and I've, I've seen it hundreds of times probably and uh yeah cobra is is it's magic you know there's it's a thing of beauty even from the very beginning where he's quoting all these ridiculous crime statistics cutting into this <laughs> fucking supermarket gun uh, showdown that's like it's just sublime stuff it, i love this it's film very it's very much yeah i mean cobra is it's dirty harry rebuilt for the 80s it's complete and just like to that end the 80s being the most over the top kind of like uh, what would you say, least ironic decade probably in American culture. Like, everything was just borne out entirely. Like, it, it is an openly fascistic wish-fulfillment film. It, 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 like, makes no bones of it. It's basically, like, S Sylvester Stallone is the good cop, and he just needs to kill anyone who pisses him off, and it will make the nation whole again. And that's, and that's the movie, and it's pretty much just Stallone walking around. Everyone else is, is a villain, like, pretty, almost everyone else in this movie is an impediment to justice, including his co-workers, everyone, civilians. Oh, except Gonzalez. Except Gonzalez, good old Gonzalez. But, you know, everyone else is a pencil-pushing bureaucrat or just some slimy scumbag on the street who won't let Stallone park or 
shop or do whatever the hell he likes. It's just, it's an insane movie. But unlike Rambo 2, Cobra has this cogent kind of like 80s veneer, like stylish, stylistic cinematic look to it. It's a great looking film. It's a great sounding movie, except for the soundtrack, which we'll get to later. It's a great <laughs> edited movie. It's got all kind of like all the moving parts are really, really good. And even the soundtrack kind of fits and how goofy the whole thing is. But yeah, you know, it's it's the way fascism is supposed to be, which is alluring, which Rambo 2 isn't in the slightest. But Cobra yeah. kind, kind of is. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you get their ass. <laughs> Yeah, it's very much Stallone operating in, like, Rocky Four mode. Like, they're almost cousins in a way, the way they're edited and put together. And it, yeah, montage. A lot of montage. A lot of music video bullshit. Yeah, and, that was uh, one of my it notes. Really just works. Yeah, this is my, one of my notes, really, for Cobra. And my kind of my always recollection whenever I sit down to watch this, that Cobra really is more music video than movie. Yes, as is, as is Rocky Four. frankly. Yep. I mean, it's just a whole lot of bizarre montage and it works so well here because everything's so fucking absurd like we just keep, keep getting these cutaways to a guy banging two axes together <laughs> it's like <laughs> hell yes axe gang oh those <laughs> bastards the new world yeah no cobra is like it's frequently stunning to look at it's one of the yeah well, like jack said it's just one of the most gorgeous like neon hued 80s films that's out there and yeah it's very stylishly put together. It's like a night and day difference between this and Rambo First Blood Part 2, and it comes in under 90 minutes. It's it's like the dream of what, you know, these movies set out to be. Now, if they made Cobra, it would be like 130 minutes long and fucking miserable to sit through. But Well, yeah, to be fair, is to be quick. fair, apparently they originally had a much longer cut, and I think the studio told them, like, no, let's let's get this thing under 90. There, There's apparently an, an X-rated cut maybe floating around somewhere, which I now need to track down. I would, yeah, <laughs> let me clarify. If made today, the movie would be that long, because that's sure. just the trend of movies. But it made in 1986, I want to see the two-and-a-half-hour X-rated cut of Cobra, wherever that is. That is what I want to lay my eyes on. Well, because it would just be more action as opposed to the yeah. now where it's just like, we I don't know. We'd have like a fucking 30 minute scene of him eating that slice of pizza. Or yeah. could, could you <laughs> imagine Yeah, could you imagine someone trying to explain where the Axe gang came from? Like, that's, you could not have an origin story for that gang that would make any sense. Best to just have no. them there fully formed. Yeah. They, yeah, you don't have to give Brian Thompson much of any dialogue. <laughs> he serves him best this way to just look fucking insane. Exactly. He's, he's creepy and with an he, axe. He's just he's the night slasher. That's all you need to know. He goes out if you're if you look weaker than him, he will kill you. That is all he has to do. Uh, yeah, but uh no, the yeah, so like yeah, there's a lot of music video montage. There Bridget Nielsen uh is in a photo shoot with a, a bunch of robots in a studio for some reason. <laughs> Love um, that scene intercut with homeless people as if homeless people are like part of the malaise of the city. Like they're the problem. Yeah. Like, let's say homelessness is part of the malaise of the city. But Cobra believes homeless people themselves are the cause of homelessness. They don't say it out loud, but it's very clear that's the concept behind <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. there, And so just like, a, a you know, everyone talks about the pizza. Let's building up to the pizza. Cobra comes home after the gas or the supermarket shootout. There's a like some uh, brouhaha on the street right in front of his apartment. He rips a guy's shirt off and tells him to kick rocks. Uh, he then grabs his newspaper, reads it on his way up to the front door, puts the newspaper in the grill, uh, 
and then comes in, snips off a tip of pizza with scissors and eats that. While wearing gloves and sunglasses in his condo. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. It, Which is, is the sort of characterization that you don't get in, in Rambo. Like, it, it, it's nothing. It's a fucking nothing scene. And everything Stallone is doing in this movie is an insane choice. Like, yes. Every line is, is just like all these... He's like consumed with food the entire time. Like, I'd say like 60% of his lines in this movie are fucking talking about junk food for some reason. <laughs> No, every, everything, like every characterization of Marion Cobretti, which is the character's full name in the movie, every characterization points towards him being an absolute nutcase. Like, and, but yeah. no one can say it because he's a deeply violent man. So it's just sort of like, that's it. And we just follow his adventures as, yes, he eats food in the weirdest way possible. He hides his gun cleaning kit in an egg carton in the fridge as if someone is that so no one can steal it. Is it to keep it cool? Is an egg carton case the only thing he has for containing something like that? Like, why is any of that happening? I don't understand. He he has it on his desk, which has a, a random assemblage of electronics on it that I don't understand, but then has a TV behind it, so he has to swivel around to watch that while he catches the, you know, important exposition dump news. He drives around in his classic car, but he, like, fender bends everyone because he likes to park where he wants to park. <laughs> Like, the whole movie is just, like, he's just a shithead. Also, I love the fact in the opening, uh, the, the opening um, uh, convenience store robbery, he also takes the time to just take it, take a nice sip of fucking room temperature straight off a store shelf, Coors Light, which is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself before throwing it? It's just like, mmm, big refreshing sip of fucking warm beer. Like, is that the America he's fighting for? Or is that the America he has to settle for? Who knows? powerful stuff throughout really gives it a lot a lot to think about in cobra god that scene it, it's just so incredible the way it's staged with like every fucking freezer door is open so it's just like mist pouring out fucking everywhere it's just such a, an amazing fucking it, it is actually yeah. the apex of the cop takes on a you know a convenience store robber like which is an 80s style where it's pretty much this and robocop shooting a guy in the dick are Actually, no, you know what he doesn't? He shoots the rude guy in the dick elsewhere. No, this is the apex of, uh, of convenience store robberies in American cinema. This is it. It doesn't get better than this. Stone yeah. Cold's pretty great, too. But yeah, right. this, is, <laughs> this is right up on the top. And even just compared to Rambo 2, the action in this film is genuinely great. It's exciting. I can tell what's going on. There's a, a mid-movie car chase with uh, Cobra and the Night Slasher where he does this crazy thing where they drive into a parking structure and they end up on two separate floors and the night slasher bursts his car out of the arm gate on the exit side of the structure and Cobra's on the second floor and he launches his whole fucking car through the bars out of the second story of the parking structure back onto the street and keeps driving. And this is like moments after he shotguns a truck which causes the bed to flip into the air and explode on the highway. It, it is all just gloriously over the top in the best way and possible. This is, and this is, if I remember correctly, with, as a passenger, the woman he's supposed to protect. Yeah. When she just brings yeah. along yes. on this incredibly dangerous chase. Yeah, yeah, this movie has, I think, I would say, five major like set pieces. You've got hospital, you've got convenience store, you've got car chase. You've got motel and you've got the foundry and none of them uh, sag like they're all excellent 
it just it hits every note. I don't know. This movie I, I has this movie. this movie has one of the best jump cuts, and it's something again. It strikes me because Rambo Two has a bunch of really shoddy jump cuts where he's like firing at like jeeps on a bridge or launching like even the the exploding arrow is is kind of like it's a fun moment but like basically where he's shooting at like um a populated thing and then they cut they have like just a jump cut to the empty state stage and all the explosives are written they go off and it's like supposed to be cut seamlessly so that just as you expect it to explode all the people are engulfed in flames but they've actually disappeared you know like they because they cut them all out and Cobra has one of the most beautiful jump cut action sequence I've ever seen, which is where they gun the van into the wall with a security guard pinned in there. Where oh yeah, and and I the first part of that shot is a van coming at a guard up against a wall real quick, and I'm not sure how they filmed that part safely. Maybe they sped it up, possibly, because uh, he's really going quick, and then they cut it so that they remove the guard and they just smash the van into a wall. But it's a really powerful little sequence it's it's a really great and, and again really sells that cobra is kind of like just a don't give a fuck kind of film like it's just absolutely barbaric at all points um <laughs> and yeah and again it, it kind of brings that because i suppose the, the theme with it emerged which when jake proposed this we weren't really aware was going to be the theme we've hinted at it earlier is that cosmatos his directing of all three of these films is disputed effectively um and it, it, certainly the two with Stallone. There's very strong evidence to suggest that Cobra in particular is a Stallone film that he direct he pretty much actually directed it. Um and it certainly wouldn't surprise me to learn if that was fully true, but it seems like Cosmatos is a guy that you could bring on to kind of just do what you told him to do. And there's kind of this consensus emerging, which we'll talk about a bit more in the next movie, which is that essentially Cosmatos shows up on set, the stars tell him what to do. And then Cosmatos treats everyone who isn't a star like shit. And that's like his job. He's like this weird in-between guy. Now, I think he does, he probably handles this and that. But I mean, a lot of directing, I think, isn't the non-artistic stuff. It's just logistics. It's management. I'm wondering if maybe Cosmatos had more of a play on that than in any of these films. Because the films otherwise have a very inconsistent kind of a, a, a patina to them. They're, they're, as we talk about the action sequence of being Rambo 2 to Cobra... They don't particularly seem like they were made by the same guy or supervised by the same person. They they have very different kind of levels of professionalism and effectiveness to them. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Eh? And this certainly, again, with Rambo 2, it feels like the, the soul of this movie is Stallone understanding the market implicitly. Like, And that, I think, is, say what you will about Stallone, uh, he is a man who knows what what will sell. He knows what people want to buy and he's completely comfortable with giving them that you know he's he is a very talented scriptwriter he is a capable actor i think he's put in some great dramatic performances over the years but he is also absolutely willing to sell audiences what they want to buy completely fine by him yeah for yeah. sure and yeah and also that's you know they're not there's not like just this post vietnam thing they're trying to shove into it i mean yeah you know fascistic police force whatever it's still it's it's simpler than Rambo, and I think that's also what helps it makes it work. Yeah, I mean, I it's, mean, it's, let's be honest: an action movie is at its best when it is fascistic. That's just a fact. Oh, sure, no, yeah. absolutely, I agree. Flatten down uh, any morality; it only gets in the way. Yeah, it's it's just how it's how brazenly done it is here. But yeah, I'm I will stay. I I still think even at like an eighty-seven minute runtime, this movie does kind of die for about ten minutes 
where they try and do a little bit with Stallone and his then wife Brigitte Nielsen. They they mm-hmm. go around to a couple of diners and have some fries, and you're kind of like, come on, just get get the axe man back in here. I want to see sweaty Brian Thompson. But it's it's fine. See, it doesn't it's, bother me, Jack. It's still so weird with the it, fucking it ketchup. Is, I'm like, what is, is this fucking ketchup? <laughs> he's like yeah, making jokes, like, hey, you drown you drowning over there. You need a life preserver or well, something like that. Again, the edit is just like it's on her fucking putting ketchup on these fries for like thirty full seconds, just like <laughs> slamming the fries with ketchup. I'm like, geez. This is what a six foot one Danish woman does with her time, and who's Stallone to to question her? You know, it it's true. It, there's still there's still enough there. It's it's just I think funny that even within that moment, it's kind of like you know, okay, it's uh, to me the energy dips a little bit there because it's kind of like okay, you, you you set it up, you've got her. They're obviously supposed to be a thing, you know. You, you you gotta you gotta pay your dues, I guess. But you know, pretty soon they're in the inexplicably uh, completely. On uh, what we say, unpopulated foundry that is running at full capacity and has a ginormous ring of fire in the back for a, <laughs> God only knows what you would use that for. Um, but yeah, I just love the idea of a foundry town that just is the foundry running twenty four seven, but no one there. Incredible uh, vision of American steel. Yeah, it's it, there's just so many little details in this movie that that always get me. Like when they're showing the axe gang going through their axe exercises and. One of them's just like a fucking tiny old bald man in a business yes. suit. <laughs> They're axe calisthenics. Another thing I really like about this movie, which again feels very 80s to me, this feels like exactly the kind of thing that uh, um, John McTiernan would spoof and like, um, it, oh God, what was it? Last Action Hero, I guess. Um, which yeah. is that there's the one inside officer, there's the one female police officer who's actually an agent for the axe gang. And she is so unglamorously and unflatteringly presented in terms of her physical appearance in the movie like it looks like they dressed her down and like just like light her to just you know highlight her her jowls and things like it's just this really shitty mean appearance to her and she's like the only woman pretty much in the movie with any kind of like you know import to it who isn't like a glamour model there aren't that many women in the movie at all but like again it's just just like just immediately surface level shitty thing of like she's a bad woman and you could tell because you don't want to fuck her and and that's and that's the mindset of the whole movie that's it that's like hell it's the mindset of the whole whole decade basically just writ on screen uh just incredibly and you like like jake says simple keeps it simple yeah. who are the good people they're attractive who are the bad people they're sweaty and awful uh just- yeah which is why the business suit guy sticks out so much because really the <laughs> the axe gang are like bikers the rest of the movie that dude so looks like he blew in guy. that guy looks like he blew in from tetsuo 2 from body hammer like the weird <laughs> gang in that movie the the woman also has like that amazing early line the traitor where they're showing her out on the street with with the axe gang and she like stops this person is driving the car I, under the guise of a fender bender i believe and mm-hmm. the person's like have you been drinking and she's just like yes and i i'm like that that's supposed to be your big unhinged like threat or something it's just the most <laughs> again every piece of dialogue in this movie so stilted and strange in the best way and yeah i guess the last little detail that that i always feel like i need to mention when discussing cobra is the fucking uh the drawing with yes. the, the, the police, police sketch, sketch which is, yes. is infamously horrid <laughs> it's just like the world's <laughs> worst like fucking kindergarten drawing that uh they're like well, we cracked the case now that we got this sketch it's, 
It's 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 a an, an impossibly cartoonish drawing of the Night Slasher, and just straight face Stallone holds it up like he's dead serious. This is the guy we're looking for. <laughs> it's 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 um just Google Cobra police sketch and you'll have yourself a good time. I do. Did they forget a prop or something? Like, did someone have to just sketch that out like at the start of the scene? I, real I quick? wish to believe that that's a hundred percent intentional on their part. It it can't not be. There are things that that uh, are strange in this movie and not fleshed out. Uh, but again, it just makes it feel like this weird fucking world. Like they keep talking about zombie squad, which I guess Gonzalez isn't even part of zombie squad. Zombie squad is just this thing that Stallone's a part of that they keep talking about. It isn't in the movie at all. Yeah, and the zombie squad is basically just the fascist wing of the police force that go out at night and murder people. <laughs> Which we're supposed yeah. to learn that that Cobretti is part of that, and that's great, right? But yeah. they could—I don't know—maybe they couldn't afford uh, other actors to populate the zombie squad <laughs> to combat the axe game. He's the know, only but... one left. They're, they live on the edge. <laughs> it's a—it's a fantastic movie. Nothing bad should ever be said about it. And if you don't like Cobra, there's something wrong with you. You're deficient as a human, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you you could go Google the police sketch, or here's a better idea: just go watch Cobra. Watch Cobra. I don't care yeah. how many times you've seen it; just watch it again. You're gonna have a hell of a good time. But I I don't know if the same could be said with uh, with Tombstone here, our, our third film, which is again something I've inexplicably never seen. It's another seeming cable special, but and something. I, I would, on paper, think my dad would have been like, yeah, we're renting this every Friday or something, but it never happened. And uh, I've seen it memed to high hell, you know, most of Val Kilmer's stuff and a lot of uh, Stacey Keach's stuff, or not Stacey Keach, sorry, Powers Booth. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's internet nomenclature at this point. A lot of scenes in this movie, uh, very popular with the, the dad memes, but... Uh, yeah, it's a Kurt Russell. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm game for this. I love the cast. There's so many great actors in it. And it's kind of boring again. <laughs> We're in a very 90s Western zone. Uh, I guess this movie was originally optioned by uh, Kevin Costner. And I got to tell you, that makes a whole lot of sense. If this movie starred Kevin Costner, yep, that, that checks out. <laughs> didn't, didn't he release a Wyatt Earp movie the same year? So... Yeah, yeah he chose enough, that project over this. That oh, I see. I think that was actually sort of a, a, a bit of contention because I think it was like the Battle of the Wyatt Earps um, and this film actually rushed production to get out ahead of Costner's film so that they could try to claim the box office gold before he could. And uh, I think Tombstone is arguably the most m better remembered of the two. And I think it's also the most beloved of the three films on this slate in the podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll admit that I do enjoy watching it. Um, I've only seen it like twice, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not as strong as I remembered. And um, I think uh, probably where Cosmatos is is talented as a director can come into check because this is sounds like it was just a lot of battle of eagles, excuse me, egos, and uh, it is a lot of it comes out off on screen like that. Yeah, I mean, originally this is a Kevin, a Kevin Jar wrote the script and he was mm -hmm. originally set to direct and then he got shit canned you know, like a month in because he was falling way behind. So Cosmatos was brought in, apparently reportedly on the recommendation, Kurt Russell got the recommendation from Stallone, I think. I, I read somewhere that Stallone told him that Cosmatos was 
the guy you can call in to get the movie finished. But then there's competing stories that Kurt Russell did it. If he didn't quite direct the film, that he did an enormous amount of the director's work in the movie anyway, even as Cosmatos came in and is credited as director. And there's varying contention with regard to that. Michael Bean says that he doesn't think Kurt Russell directed it. Some other director or some other actors are kind of like, yeah, yeah, he, Kurt Russell did a lot. The thing that seems to crop up from everyone is that George Cosmatos treated everyone like shit if they weren't Kurt Russell or someone similarly famous as Kurt Russell. So, um, yeah, the, the old Cosmatos effect again. He's, he's just in the middle of it, but everyone's kind of like debating whether or not he did the job. Yeah, this is a, a claim made by Russell himself after Cosmatos' death is that he uh, has said he was, you know, Pretty much steering the wheel, which I, I is it's strange because I don't know a, a lot of that. I, I read the entirety of that interview that he gave that where this kind of originated from is uh, and all Russell comes across kind of like a jackass after watching the film to me because the whole interview is like, man, I kept pulling things out for for Wyatt Earp. You know, I, I decided we got so many good actors, we got to give them more and, and less for me. And I'm like is there a scene in this movie where you're not fucking front and center, man? Like, I yeah, guess they, I missed they, it. They cut out, and like, I, I know one of the things they did to get it back on schedule is they, like, cut out almost everything that wasn't Wyatt Earp. Uh, like, there was a bunch of other side stories for all the other characters. Yeah, it seems like a weird thing to claim he made it less Kurt Russell-centric, <laughs> but yeah, what do I know? Yeah, it's very Kurt Russell-centric, for better or for worse. I mean, I love Kurt Russell, but I don't think this really exists directly in his wheelhouse there's things that he's pulling off here very well which is sort of that steely badass yeah early film stuff uh some amiable stuff as well uh congenial familial relations really work i mm-hmm. think when he has to get big it gets a little iffy for me it's not my favorite kurt russell performance by by a yeah. wide stretch but when, when he starts like shouting no in slow motion at the river think that's yeah. what you're referring to a I, a yeah yeah exactly he, he's no but he's great like at the battle of the okay corral where we get all those intense close-ups in th- two three five to one of everyone's just eyes and mouths and it, this film is just a litany of incredible facial hair and kurt russell mm-hmm. just does that oh my god and then the shootout happens and that that's great but yeah when he sort of gets uh, overheated it's not so great um yeah and that's i think a lot of this movie's like yeah it doesn't commit to being the very like homoerotic western that a very it so clearly is at its heart it's mm-hmm. like we got to throw in the the not gays oh, uh, yeah. relationship stuff here which is a, uh it's just a fucking boulder on this movie like it should not be here and it sucks just gonna say he, and russell's not even the most remembered part of this film it's everything go is stolen by val kilmer is a uh, doc holiday who gives like a little dandyish twirl on in the performance and like kind of walks away with the film but uh yeah he's clearly not really playing a character he's just sort of uh uh exuberant personality yeah Val who was Kilmer's... also not the original casting choice it was apparently uh willem dafoe as a doc which Holliday. yeah yeah, yeah I, I heard the studio nix that because the last temptation mm-hmm. of christ which seems I don't know if the year, that many years later, but maybe. But, uh, you know, Val Kilmer's great because he basically plays Doc Holliday as saucy Vincent Price, which is an amazingly good decision, as it turns out. But yeah. um, I, I would say the film 
for me, the issue is, and we're in the, into the early 90s, and really the Western was being kind of rebuilt at this point in Hollywood. The Western never really, it never quite went away, but it was, it, it certainly wasn't the kind of bedrock of American cinema that it was in the 50s, obviously, you know, and, and so there was this kind of attempt to rebuild the Western, reclaim it, but it was kind of like trying to rebuild it on a kind of half-remembered version of it. It feels like a lot of those Westerns outside of, say, Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood, which is, you know, head and shoulders above many of them, were, were made by people who didn't really seem to have much understanding of Westerns. Probably the best Westerns that were made in the 80s were made by John Carpenter, and they weren't set in the Old West. Uh, this movie's interesting in that, like, it opens with a recollection of the westward expansion and the lawlessness of the west and the excitement of it the possibility of it and it's all just a bunch of old footage of like old silent movies which you know immediately it invested like you know this is kind of a fake movie about a fake vision of of the wild west you know it's it's a showbiz thing which makes sense because Wyatt Earp himself was a showman like he the reason he's so well remembered to a large part is because once he did do his his exploits in the Wild West, he moved to Hollywood and he just kind of hung out with, like, John Wayne. And, uh, you know, that, and that transferred his legend to the silver screen. He was, you know, he just told, told his tales from his perspective and, and so on. And, you know, he became kind of a celebrity and, and people brought him in from that. So it's, it's this kind of, like, attempt to reconstruct a Western. This is what Tombstone feels to me, but it's, like, it's all in the macro. It's all in, like, the big elements of the western it doesn't have any of the the micro elements the small interpersonal details which is actually for lovers of westerns and people who you know really watch a lot of them come to appreciate because the beauty of the western to a large degree is like they were churning them out in the 40s and 50s and 30s and 20s they were just there were so many hundreds being released every single year and most of them in shape and form were identical like they really like this in absolute cookie cutter carbon copy kind of film format and all of the difference and the nuance and the angle of it was you know in the own director and writer's perspective in the material and you know man versus nature the american identity the claim of the land you know so on and so forth all of these things were what like shaped these individual films and made really the western the kind of like the genre that came to negotiate america itself you know and the narrative of what america is tombstone feels like you know okay we got all that what are we doing and it just kind of came down to like big facial hair and gunfights you know and, and it just it doesn't have as much as the relationships i think between kurt russell and and sam elliott and bill paxton as brothers so wonder like it's all very well acted i think and well carried by them there's no particular perspective to it there's nothing to particularly charge it or refocus anything we thought we knew about the you know the the gunfight of the OK Corral or about Wyatt Earp or or anyone else involved in this movie it's just it's very much just kind of like big performances to tell a grand old yarn which okay fair enough but like it's not a great western to me it's not it's not even a great postmodern western it doesn't have like it's not like Sergio Leone like fucking putting together like the most grandiose insanely beautiful spectacular vision of the west you've ever seen it's somewhere in between that. It's kind of trying to be gritty and, and realistic, but then also trying to have its, like, grand hero arcs. It's, it just feels yeah. like it's kind of mixed up and trapped somewhere in the middle, and it just it doesn't have it doesn't have the smarts to really stake its claim to anything, and it doesn't have the lyricism or the, the genius to, like, stake itself as, as, like, a grand, grand action spectacle or something. It's, it's kind of just in the middle, and it's, it's all right, I think would be my summation of Tombstone.
Right. Yeah. It's it's got the very like distinct feel of the era where these nineties prestige sort of dramas are are all such goddamn boring things mm. as far as like stylistically and it i don't know this the, on paper this movie should work because you're getting exactly what you want out of your your principles like if you're doing a white hat black hat with kurt russell and val kilmer you know kind of leading a charge against that uh, powers booth and michael bain that's something and all four of them are very good in this film and when that is the driving force of the film it it works but everyone else should have like two lines in the fucking movie frankly just make that movie about those characters and you'd be onto something but it's got to be this big fucking ensemble piece it it just it, i don't know yeah. I, I don't have any time for this stuff that's that's not central to the plot frankly yeah, I I would agree with Jack. Like this is as a western, this is a terrible movie. Um, but as a film where if you're a dad and you need to just put something on while you're uh, putting your son down for a nap, uh, this is the great ideal movie for that cause. Um, you know, it's very all you need, just uh, mustaches and guns. It's 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 very pared down to that as something not. It's not you know anything exceptional. Um, I do think that the one scene that could actually you could see in a classic Western that is really good is uh, when they're all in the bar and um, Michael Bean, Johnny Ringo starts twirling his gun around in front of Doc Holliday and the whole crowd starts cheering him on and he holsters his weapon. Doc Holliday just takes a sip from like his little teacup and then he just starts twirling that around and everyone starts laughing. I feel like that's that's like a genuinely great moment. Um, other than that though, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's extremely broad and, um, you know, sometimes that works in its favor, but, uh, largely no. A lot of those moments in that bar are where the movie is really at its finest for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, then we're cutting away to like Kurt Russell looking forlornly at his wife going, you're taking laudanum again. <laughs> oh, that's dangerous I love, stuff. I love the end of this film, because uh, the end, it, Robert Mitchum provides, I think he was supposed to have a starring role, but he just provides an intro and outro voiceover instead, because I think he injured himself in the run-up, he couldn't part, appear, in, and, and in the outro, he just kind of like mentioned some things, that one of the bad guys who survives, die, he, he died later in armed robbery, and then he just mentions right after that, is like, so one of the bad guys in this movie, he who doesn't die in the movie, is like, he was killed in an armed robbery a couple of years later. Also, Wyatt Earp's first wife died of drug overdose. And both of those <laughs> things are delivered as if, like, they're equally, like, you know, this bad guy got killed violently because he lived a violent life. And then this stupid bitch who got in Wyatt Earp's way died of drugs because she's a whore. And it's just, like, it's this bewilderingly nasty kind of implication to the end of it, which is, it seems just carelessness. I, you know, there's nothing in the movie to particularly do it, other than the fact that Wyatt Earp is kind of like, oh, my wife is just doing a bunch of drugs because she has headaches all the time. And there's a hotter woman I'm interested in, which is largely unexamined in the film as being, you know, anything else other than, you know, he's, he's a Wild West showman. You know, he should have what he wants. He's got his eye on this lady. You know, but it's just such a casually cruel kind of outro of like, don't worry, it's okay, Wyatt Earp hooked up with someone else because his wife dies. It's just well, her cool. whole role in this movie. It's like from the fucking get go, it's just like laudanum. I'm like, yep. really? That's what we're doing? It's just like, she's just a sour face. She's, she's just here. She's in his way. She's just an obstacle. It's like, why put this character in the fucking movie? Just make him single or something. Like, who gives right. a shit? <laughs> 
Oh, I, I, yeah, and I think I think part of it is because the movie is something of a slave to historical elements. It doesn't well, want to lie. <laughs> it, it, exactly. I think it's a movie that, it, which is strange because it opens with all this footage of old, silent movie westerns. Like it's a movie that says, like, "Hey, we're you know in the wake of a myth." What was the man who shot Liberty Valance about? It was about the myth. Print the myth. No, no, not tombstones. No, let's get into a couple of gritty details to drag the whole thing down and then just skip over some other stuff later on. And we got a two hour, 10 minute long movie out of it. Well, you will note that way, way down in the cast is something to lend some credence to this whole Stallone connection. Uh, is Frank Stallone has a, a bit role in this film. That's right. Yeah, yeah that Frank, so. he just shows up everywhere. Yeah, so I, it uh, does, again, lend a little credence to the fact that perhaps Stallone got Cosmatis on this film to begin with, and uh, if it was directed by Kurt Russell, well, I don't know, maybe don't quit your day job, I think I'll take you as an actor, first and foremost, Frank. Yeah, I don't know if Russell's directed anything else, has he? Like, I don't, never no, I don't heard of him he in that role, yeah, so it's kind yeah. of strange for him to just claim, like, yeah, there's just this one movie that I just decided not to get credit for, but I did all the work. Well, in fact, he yeah, he states he did not. He specifically did not wish to be the credited director on this film. Uh, he was asked by the studio at the firing uh, of the original director, and he said, "No, but I'll get it over the finish line. But I I don't want to be a director. I don't want my name on it. You know, I don't know." And he said he would not mention any yeah. of this stuff until Cosmatos's death. So it's not like yeah, it's some scummy thing or something. I mean, he comes across a little <laughs> full of shit, but. Uh, yeah, probably most of us do. Even just well, looking back, what's what's maybe most disappointing, um, like you take any genre of film and a Western may have the potential for being some of the most cinematically gorgeous stuff that's out there. And there's yeah. not, excuse me, Dalton, uh, there's not, I can't think of like just a single interesting composition or anything in this movie. Like towards the end, Val Kilmer has a showdown with uh, Michael Bean in the woods. And I feel like that should be amazing, but it's it's not it's it's very like cosmonos is just hired as just a point and shoot is all you know that you know you get the personality that's it you know that the actor does the rest of the work for you with their broadness but yeah it's it's just such a it's a missed opportunity to be honest yeah, yeah it's, it's strangely it's a, anticlimactic for a, a moment yes. in the movie that should be the climax because really the foil for russell is is dead already at this point, you know. Oh, Power oh, Booth yeah. has, has been killed shocked. sort of indiscriminately. <laughs> he's and he's killed with like forty minutes left in the movie. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, well, right. that's it for the cowboy gang again. And again, this this feels a little bit like maybe history getting in the way of a good story. Like I think that you know they're recreating widely told stories from Wyatt Earp, and it just it just yeah, it feels like. It's it's kind of a strange thing because it feels like they're they're following history. They're like they're slaves to getting everything in the right order and not you know telling a lie. You know as much as you might be able to believe anything Wyatt Earp said himself. Certainly, many people thought he was full of shit. Uh, you know, or you know, or certainly his greatest self promoter. Um, but yeah, the the end of the film where it kind of like speeds up, like the last forty minutes or so of this movie is pretty much supposed to be you know like the consequences tipping over and everything collapsing. And it's just like a various blood bats in the wake of the OK Corral, you know, that everything fell apart and the Earp brothers had to go and do their thing. You know, they had to, to finish it off and it was eventually fell to Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday to do it. Um, but the film, like the effect of the film isn't so much that like the pace is 
increasing the noose is 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 constricting you know it's blood and guts and violence and death and everything it just kind of feels like the back half of the movie is incredibly rushed it just kind of feels yeah. like they're just checking boxes like this guy's dead this guy's dead this guy's dead and it's like okay right. great you know <laughs> and then suddenly we're building towards this showdown between uh bane's character and kurt russell which is not these are not the people who've been set up as like the dichotomy in the film. It was always Kilmer's Doc Holliday and Bane's Johnny Ringo. And that ends up being what, what we get, I guess, but it comes completely out of fucking nowhere. And, and it, I'll get it also feels like everything's already been resolved. Really? So why is this even happening? But and also it's a set this piece feels, feels more into like indebted to something like San Juro than a Western, like the way he, you know, it's like a single shot, but it's like an upward, unusual, unexpected kind of result. You know, it's it's not a terrible scene in the idea. You know, I think the mm -hmm. execution is fine. But yeah, you know, it, it seems certainly displaced within a larger narrative structure. And then yeah. also, like, to me, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, you know, it kind of reminds me of not a Western. So, <laughs> oops, yeah, like, sure. <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, I... It it is just a very strangely paced movie for sure because the climax really is is that mid film showdown and then after that it's just kind of like a montage of Kurt Russell uh, riding on horses and shooting people and yep the end <laughs> it's like we we'll have a fucking aftermath where Val Kilmer dies <laughs> yeah that'll do does he ever go find his family no no but he does end up with that woman no one gives a shit about <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Yeah. At least we know he's not gay. That's yeah, like, it's very like very it really important. feels like that is the undertone. Is that like there was a studio note? It's like, hey, dude, everyone's know these guys are into women, right? And it's like, oh yeah, well, that, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. fix it. Nineteen nineties, <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I suppose that wraps it. I I think the end. What we're gonna find out in this is, uh, despite Cosmatos has directed a couple interesting Peter Weller movies in the eighties as well. Uh, of Unknown Origin is is quite an interesting film, but as far as his major Hollywood stuff, who knows if he directed it or not? It feels like his his lasting legacy at this point is is probably his son. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you know, I, say what you will, uh, like or hate his his son's work. Uh, I mean, a lot of folks are, are down for the Mandy with Panos, uh, but I don't think anyone's going to accuse Panos of being a, a ghost director, I'll say that. <laughs> He's definitely got a distinct stamp on all of his work. Um, so, yeah, an interesting fellow, an interesting three films, uh, mostly just watch Cobra and, and skip the other two. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's really about it. So I, I think we can move right on to uh, putovers and. Uh, as host, I, I usually excuse myself from putovers, but what I'll say is, is I'm going to put over, if you're going to watch some mediocre stuff like Rambo First Blood Part 2, I, I kind of recommend watching it on a dying television, which was my unique experience this week, because I have a, a strange problem with my television that is, it's really, it was as if I was watching the film melt while I was, I was watching it. It's this digital mess everywhere, crawling into every uh, third scene or so, and uh well, considering how sleepy the film is, despite its immense explosions, uh, this, this kind of helped me along the way. I was like, what the fuck am I going to see next? Uh, the film isn't going to surprise me, but my television will. So I, I recommend this experience uh, if you ever have the opportunity, which seems unlikely. But uh, 
this is the sort of great universal recommendation that I, I give to folks. Um, Jack, I'm going to kick to you. What are you going to recommend this week? I'm going to keep it simple. You know what? Rambo 2, not great. If you want a great Vietnam War movie, Sambo Hong's Eastern Condors. Check it out. If you've never seen it, anyone who has seen it knows what I'm talking about. It is like the, even within Sambo Hong's body of work, it's like just the grittiest, most insane, high-impact action movie maybe he's ever made. It is just agonizing to watch it, but absolutely in like energetic and amazing. It's just full of people hurting themselves for your pleasure. Amazing fights, amazing stunts, just sweat dripping everywhere. It is everything that Rambo 2 isn't. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Eastern Condors. Definitely check that one out. And Jake, how about you? What are you putting over? Yeah, you know what? Out of sheer coincidence, I happen to watch another take on the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, I'm going to put over um, maybe the best new film I've seen this year. Uh, John Ford's 1946, My Darling Clementine, starring Henry Fonda and Victor Mature. Uh, th this is a proper Western. Um, if you want, yeah, if you are bummed out by Tombstone or you just want to see, you know, a different iteration of uh, the same story. Uh, where John Ford throws uh, historical accuracy to the wind to create uh, romantic and beautiful and incredible and incredibly gorgeous Western uh, about two guys who become best friends and it climaxes with the famous shootout. Uh, I really, I don't want to sell it more than that. It's a, it's a classic, it's a masterpiece, and I think you should check it out. It's also only 97 minutes, so you're not doing yourself any wrong if you watch it. It's uh, it's amazing. My Darling Clementine. All right. Uh, there are your recommendations. Uh, now I will stumble through our post, our post script here. I can't even say that. Uh, Jesus Christ. Steve, get back. Um, yeah, we are a Patreon-supported podcast. Uh, we, we certainly don't make any money at this, but, uh, you know, what little we do get helps keep the, the show going. Let's us pay our hosting fees, et cetera, et cetera. And anyone who does support us, uh, Steve will send you some media from his own personal collection. You never know what it's going to be. He's got plenty of weird stuff lying around, and he will mail it out to anyone in the continental U.S. who does support the show. Uh, beyond that, if you support at $5 and above, we will read your name on the air every episode. Uh, this week, we have CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Uh, thank you very much for your help with this. And at that $25 level, even if you only do it for one month, you do get to tell us something to cover. You know, you want us to cover a particular film, TV show, something, something, uh, we will. You know, we will take a look at it and uh, make an episode. We've got another one coming up. Uh, we did Hell's a Poppin' recently, but that was kind of a tied you over for uh, one of our patrons and we're going to do a second suggestion from them as well on uh, some Czech comedies. It should be a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, that that's, it's always helpful. Uh, that is patreon.com slash optimism vaccine. Much appreciated. We'll have a link in the description as well. Uh, if you need to get in touch with us for any reason, we always love to hear from you. Uh, it's optimism vaccine at gmail.com. Uh, we will respond and, uh, yeah, you're most welcome to find us there. Uh, I'm probably missing six other things, but frankly, I don't give a shit. Uh, 
I think that's going to wrap us for, for this week, gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye.